0: If y'all would, take a seat and open up your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let us, each one of you, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband.
1: All right. Thank you, Gabe. All right, everybody. Well, good morning. How we doing on morning number two? Are we t- more tired than we were yesterday morning? No. No. Yes. Okay. Pretty split down the middle. That's cool. All right, so well, here we are in Ephesians chapter 5. Um, the reason for the jump, but just kind of remembering where we've been so far. We started on this journey in Ephesians 1, Paul revealing God's plan, that plan to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth coming together in Jesus. That plan had to involve, however, fixing a key problem That his image bearers were dead and death can't exist in the all things united plan. And so he rescued us from death, breathed us back to life. There's another problem that we addressed last night, that if all things are united, his image bearers, which were created to be united, must also be united. And so his people... Jesus on the cross, he destroyed the hostility to make us live together in this selfless love that we're supposed to live in. And then chapters four and a little bit of chapter five, the reason we're kind of jumping over chapter four is because a lot of that is the therefore. If this is what Jesus did, this is how you're supposed to live. And so hopefully as you guys read Ephesians, you see that play out um, and that that chapter's four and five are spending time hashing out what that looks like. And we looked into chapters four and five a little bit yesterday. So we've kind of made it through four and five. Here we are in the second half of chapter five. And that brings us into um, a new topic. And we ended off last night with this idea that God created a new humanity. And there was a different Expectation for how this humanity is supposed to live. And now we see Paul begin to make another transition. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about the family and marriage. And at first glance, that kind of seems a little random maybe for us, for us reading this here together. He starts talking about what a Christian household ought to look like. But what I hope you see here is that there's a, a line of logic that Paul is playing out. What I want you to see is that Paul is taking this new humanity and how it looks, and he's getting really specific with it. And he's saying, if Christ has created a new humanity who is alive in Jesus, they are pursuing life instead of death. They are pursuing unity and living in a way that is completely different than the rest of the world. How does that look in one of the most intimate relationship settings in existence, which is the household? And for a lot of us, um, this maybe isn't evident at first glance because we live in such an individualistic society where the household is your place, your business, your safe zone, and that's just kind of what we live in. But that just wasn't the case in Paul's day. The household, everybody kind of knew everything about. Like you, they, you lived in a community together, and yes, it was your household, but it wasn't nearly as hidden. The household was on display for the world to see. And what we're going to see here in just a second is that the household was vastly different in Paul's day than it is in our day. Um, well, maybe, maybe a little bit. Um, what we're going to see is Paul is countering a culture that's at work in the world as uh, in the world of his time. And the second thing that we're going to see is that Paul is going to call the, Chris, the, the Christian people in this new humanity to live in a way that lives out Jesus' example through their household relationships. So he's taking this new humanity, this new way to live that we've been talking about yesterday, and he's making it very specific in the household because the household in the day was run very differently. I've got a couple of quotes that'll help us to see this, um, to see the backdrop of what Paul was living in. Um, the Because what Paul is addressing here is specific to a time that he was living in 2,000 years ago, but it also can challenge us as well. So here, here's a quote from one commentary that I was working with, just to help us understand what relationships and the household looked like in Paul's time. Here's one thing. It is this, that the patriarch, the man of the house, was informed that his responsibility was to order his household to be a miniature representation of the Roman Empire. And it was always done in a triad. It was, he's in charge, husband, wife, father, child, master, slave. And it was very domineering. And this was how he, as the patriarch, did his due diligence as a Roman citizen to help keep up the model of how the Roman Empire worked. Because Caesar is God. You are God over your household. It's kind of the mindset here. Aristotle, a guy who lived about 100, 150, 200 years before Jesus was born, he writes, most of us have heard of Aristotle. He's the philosopher. He writes this about the Greco-Roman reality that was happening in this day. He says this, A husband and father, we see, rules over wife and children who are both free, but the way that this ruling is different. The rule that he has over his children is royal in nature. It's it's passing on his, um, his fathership, especially to the sons, obviously. It's royal in nature. But when it comes to the wife, it's based on natural constitution. For although there may be exceptions to the order of nature, the male is by nature fitter for command than the female. And in the same way, just in the same way that a male is more fit for command than female an elder person is a full-grown and superior person to a younger and more immature person. It's the reasoning that Aristotle gives for the structure of the household. Lastly, here's a quote from a guy named Josephus. Anybody ever heard of the guy named Josephus? He was a historian who lived at the time of Jesus. He actually writes about Jesus in some of his history writings. Here's what he describes about the Jewish household in the middle of the Roman Empire. He says this, The woman is in all things inferior to a man. Let her therefore be obedient so that she won't be humiliated, but that she may be instead directed. For God has given authority to the man. Here's some insights on how the household was run in the day that Paul is writing to and this Jesus movement is happening. This was the process of the ancient Roman world, even in the Jewish Jewish household. And what Paul begins to do today is he's applying this new humanity reality, uh, a people who live in a completely different way that's based on the love of Jesus. And it's going to be strikingly uh, polarizing in the context that he's living in right now. Some of the things that Paul's about to say going to be a little bit different. So let's jump into it. Before we do, Gabe read this passage for us, and uh, when we read that passage, what is that one word that jumps out to us and makes some of us squirm in here when we hear it? Submit. Submit. Yes. The S word. I'm going to talk about the S word today. Some of you shuddered. In reality, there's a lot of different experiences that come to this word. Um, Some of us were raised since birth to understand that God's expectation for an obedient woman is to submit to the every whim of a man, both good and bad. That is how she can be obedient to God. Some of us maybe have been deeply affected by seeing in our own lives how this word, which is an important word that we're going to unpack today, but have seen how it's been used and manipulated in people's lives and it makes us really uncomfortable with reading this passage. Um, I'm hoping that wherever you fall on kind of the spectrum of how you feel about this word, that we all can be a little bit challenged today. Um, So let's look at what Paul's getting into as he unpacks this idea, how he is about to counter the nature of his current culture's reality, and he's about to counter it in specifically how relationships work. Yes, it's talking about Household, But the core reality of this is how do relationships work in the new humanity? How does this work? And So what that's going to lead us to ask today is what do relationships look like within the all things united plan? That's the core of what Paul begins to unpack here, because he's gone deep into saying what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, what you sh- how you should be living. Now he's going to say, here's how this works itself out. And relationships, and here's this might be helpful for you, because after last night, I felt like the Lord was moving a little bit in some of our hearts. Last night was last night something that uh, was a little maybe provoking to some of our hearts. Two different people asked my came in response to last night's message, and the question was, man, but how do we do that? Like if if unity is so key to what God's plan is for us. How how do we do that? And uh, that's what we're going to cover today. I think Paul really begins to unpack it. So this is our goal for today, answering this question. What do relationships, all kinds of relationships, not just marriage, what do relationships look like within the All Things United plan? That's our goal for today. So let's start talking about the S word. Here we go. Look at verse 15 again. Chapter 5, verse 15. He says... Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Okay, I want to pause here just for a second. This is not one of our main points. This is just something I think is important to point out here. How many of your translations read similar to mine right there and said, making the most of your time? Translation. How many said something different? Okay, how many of you said redeeming the time? A couple, okay, good. Now, this, for some of us, this might this is just me kind of being particular and geeking out a little bit. Um, when I hear the phrase making the most of your time, what I take away from that is, hey, be efficient. You know, like, make sure you're filling your time with what you're supposed to be doing. Make the most of it. But the word that's being used here is that word that we translate into Redeem. That's the word that's being used here. The, the, the phrase literally is redeeming the time. And I think that this is key for us to see, especially with everything that we've been talking about. Paul's making a profound statement here because to redeem means this. The way that the word redeem is used in the Bible means to purchase back or to deliver out of, to liberate. This is the same word that Paul that the Bible uses when talking about what God did for Israel when they were in Egypt. Remember, the Egyptians were Lord, they, they had made the Israelites the slaves, and God redeemed them. He purchased them out of, he delivered them out of. He liberated them out of Egypt. And so if we look at verse 15 again, Paul's saying this: therefore, in light of everything we've been talking about, this All things united, plan. Therefore, be careful how you spend your time. Be careful how you walk, not as wise, but as unwise. Redeeming the time, purchasing back the time, liberating the time around you, bringing heaven down to earth around you. It's a a little bit more profound than just, "Hey, be efficient." You know, make sure that you keep a calendar. That's what Paul's saying here. And then he goes on. He says. On account of this, therefore, do not be foolish, but spend time trying to understand what the will of God is. And we've already talked about that. His will is this all things united plan. And he wants you to be spending your time thinking, how can I redeem the time to be a part of this plan? Okay, that was just for free. Moving on into the uh, S word. Here we go. Paul then begins to give examples of how we redeem the time. Verse 18. So how do I redeem the time? Don't spend your time, therefore, getting drunk with wine. Instead, instead of being filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And the way you live in a way that's filled with the Spirit, here are some examples he gives. And we're not going to unpack all of these, but just here's a couple. Here's how you live in a redeeming way, living out the spirit in your life. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You guys have been doing that all week long. It's great. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Being thankful. Comma. How is is the spirit playing it out in our lives to redeem the time, be a part of God's all things united plan? submitting one to another out of reverence for the Messiah. Okay, question. Back up a couple of days. Who was Paul writing this letter to? Okay, so a lot of churches, remember? Yes, Ephesians, but most likely this is, a le- obviously this is for all Christians. It's in our Bible. But like who he has in mind when he's writing this to is everybody, and what is he saying? That last line is evidence of being filled with the Spirit and redeeming the time. Submitting. And let's be clear who's submitting to who here? Everybody. Submitting one to another. We haven't even got to the household yet. Paul's saying what it looks like to be a people who are living out Jesus's way and redeeming the reality around us. There's this element that we as believers, we submit one to another. So this leads us to our first idea for today. Submission, first and foremost, is for all believers. This is so important for us to see. Now, some of us are like, amen, amen. You're tracking with me. Some of us are like, whoa, what? Like, I thought that was Women. I want to show you how how connected this idea. Because our Bibles here, most of your Bibles probably, and unfortunately, but it's okay. After that line, or after verse, what verse is that? Verse, verse 21. How many of your Bibles have like a little subheading that then separates us down into the next thing, starts a new sentence? How many? Okay, a lot, and that's okay. It is a change of topic, but I want to show you something. How the sentence in Greek reads, because it's not a period. This is how it reads. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, which is recklessness, but be filled by the spirit, singing in psalms, all the different things, comma, 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 submitting to one another, everybody, in reverence of the Messiah, comma, wives, to your husbands. It's all part of the same flow of thought. So he says, everybody submits, and here's how that plays out. Wives, to your husbands, you submit. And we're going to unpack this more, but I want it, the, this, the main thing I'm wanting you to see is in the original, some of you don't care about this, and that's fine. I, I find it important. How many of you read out of like the NASB? Anybody got an NASB in here? It's kind of falling out. There's not many, very many. Okay. Um, if you've ever read in the NASB, and some of your translations will do this too, those there are words that they put in italics. Um, if you've ever noticed that, you're, a lot of translations don't do this. What the translating team is letting you know, is the words in italics aren't actually there in the Greek, but they're helping you to read more fluently. And most of our translations, when we get to this verse, say wives submit to your husbands, which is is exactly what this is saying. But in the original Greek, he doesn't say submit again. He's assuming that we're reading submitting right here, the submitting that all of us are doing one to another, and then saying, Here's how that works out with wives. Does that make sense? Submit everybody one to another, comma, wives to your husbands. And this that might not be a big change for some of us, but it's important to see that the same submitting that's in verse 21 is, is the submitting he's talking about in verse 22. And it's important for us to see that, that. Whatever the submitting is that God expects for wives to their husbands is the same submitting in verse 21 that is expected for all believers, one to another. Now, this might be a good point for us to say, okay, so what is submitting all about? Because submitting comes with some baggage, it comes with some negative connotations, it comes with ideas of, of being um, weak, it comes with passivity. It comes with this idea of, like, domineering, losing your dignity. That's the ideas that a lot of this world brings to, the, to this concept of submission. And, and this is just not what Paul has in mind. Here's the Greek word right here. Uh, say the word hypotasso. There you go. So here you go. What this word literally means, like just bare bones, is to bring under, to bring something underneath something. And so how Paul is using this, therefore, is to say to act on behalf of someone that you have placed above yourself. You are coming underneath that person. The idea here is to put your interest, your desire, your well-being underneath that of somebody else. It's about love. It's about humility. And in verse 21, before we get to the wives part. Paul says, this is what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. We do this one to another. All believers submitting one to another, all believers putting themselves under one to another. And so here's what that means for you and me. You, as a follower of Jesus, are called to consider all others above yourself. And that's hard. Here's what, okay, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean think, le- like think of, like less of yourself. You've heard the definition of humility. It's not to think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less than others. And that's the idea here behind submission. That in every relationship as this new humanity under Jesus, we look around and we say, I, in this moment, how I'm interacting with this person, I am Not unimportant, but I am less important than you. I'm submitting to you. I'm placing myself under you. And this language, as we start to talk this way, starts to sound a little familiar. Because Paul unpacks this in another another letter. In his letter to the Philippians, he says it like this. Chapter 2, verse 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves, and let each of us look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That is what Paul means when he says, all believers submit to one another, every one of us. So how do we live out this new humanity, one to another, this unity together? It's hard work, but that's how you do it. And Paul says, this is for everyone who is filled with the spirit of God and is living out Jesus's way in the world. Married, unmarried, young, old, this is what we do. And so before we go any further, let's like let this just kind of sink and challenge us a little bit because we could meditate here forever. But are there relationships in your life where this needs to be applied? Where regardless of what the situation says, If I'm trying, if I'm doing my due diligence, quote from last night, to make every effort to keep the oneness, I'm submitting myself underneath that person. Are there people in your life that you need to apply this to? We could meditate here forever, but we got to move on. This is um, not the only message about submission and humility. He then takes it, comma, and applies it into the household. Let's keep reading. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, comma, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should, should submit in everything to their husbands, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so with our working definition of submission, this leads us into our next idea in scripture right here. It's very, very important. Point number two, Christ-like love requires submission. Christ-like love requires submission. And here we are, we've kind of come to that hot spot in the passage where submission and headship and authority come into play. And I hope that our full biblical understanding here of what the expectation of submission helps us to see this in a better light, because now we bring this selfless concept of putting someone above myself into the household, specifically into the household of 2000 years ago in the ancient Greek and Roman world where there was a very specific hierarchy There was a very specific reality, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but here's the reality that I want us to see. Here's kind of like a chart here. Here's the flow of power and authority and rulership more or less synthesized in the Greco-Roman world. Up first, Emperor Caesar. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is King. Caesar is God. He is in charge of all. His word goes. Underneath that, a very, very small percent of the ruling elite... The the men in the world that are given power underneath Caesar to help oversee, Um, they act on Caesar's behalf and and have very specific power, different districts. And then underneath that, the patriarchs that are underneath those ruling elite, they respond to those governors that are appointed to the different areas. And they, remember we talked about this earlier, they are called to order their household in the same structured way. Someone's king, someone's God. His will and whim goes, and you submit, the different use of the word submit here. You submit, you do what the king says. You do it. Underneath, the patriarchs become the women and the wives. And on average, a Roman man, when he gets married and starts building his little Roman empire inside of his home, he is about... Between 20 and 30 years old in the Greco-Roman time. The women and the wives, any guess on the average age of the woman, when she enters into this Roman-structured household? Now, 15. 15 years old. And her value to her husband in this miniature Roman empire in the household, her value to her husband was bound up in how she pleased him, how well she kept the house in order and the family name that she came from, whether or not she brought riches in. That was the value. And beneath that are the children and beneath that are the slaves. That's how this worked. This this was the concept of the household power structure in the day of Jesus. And this is what Paul's in the middle of. Now, with that in mind, Imagine the obscenity of this movement of people who believe that a guy got up out of the grave and they begin living in a different way in the middle of this Roman structured power elite society. They begin to live this way. Verse 22. Wives, put yourself under your husbands as if you were doing it to King Jesus. Not because the government told you to, because you love him. Because you are enamored and are, want to follow him. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as the Messiah is the head of the church. His body and is, is himself its savior. And as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Wives, submit in the same way that you have that you would have submitted to King Jesus when he was here out of love and respect. Now here we do need to pause and it is important to point out that Paul is not instigating anarchy. He does appoint mankind as, or he does not appoint man as the head of the family. There is a system, there is organization to the structure. There is a headship that the man has in the family. There is a system. And we, it is a whole different sermon to start unpacking what it looks like to be a good, godly, head-leading man in a relationship. That's a whole different sermon, very, very important. But what Paul specifically points out here is how you are to be the head in this relationship. And it is not the same type of headship that was in the Roman Empire. Look at how he defines the headship that the man in this new humanity is supposed to live in response to his wife. Husbands, love your wives in the same way that the Messiah loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of just a normal Roman citizen and you start hearing about this movement. Wait, you guys are treating your wives like your your property, you're you're loving them and like p- willing to lay your doubt your, lay your life down for them unconditionally. That's how you guys are living. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the same way that Jesus did it for us, and hmm, how does Scripture describe that for us? Let me take you back to that Philippians passage again that really unpacks this. This is back in Philippians chapter two, verse five. He says, "Hey, I want all of you adopt the same attitude." as that of Jesus, the Messiah, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider the equality he had with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how the headship of Jesus was put on display. This is how he loved the church. Now let me ask you something. Did Jesus desire to go to the cross? Think about it. How were his hours spent before going to the cross? He was in utter turmoil praying, saying Lord if there's any other way I'll be obedient to you but if there's any other way, please give it to me. But in that moment, he placed his desire underneath the well being of his people. That is the love that husbands are called to, but that we're all called to. That love, in the way that Jesus shows us love, is not absent and completely other than this idea of submitting, they're together and a man in this new humanity household this is how you're to live and guess what that that means that yes you are in charge you are leading this household together but what that means is that there will be times when you must put your desires your well-being your way underneath that of your wife for the betterment of her that's how you're to live because that's how Jesus did it for you and when we do this This becomes this. That's my son. When we do this, it becomes this intricate relationship where the husband, who is the head, and when he lives out this authority of headship in the way that Jesus lived out his authority of headship by putting his desires and well-being underneath that of the people he loved... And then in turn, the wife who is called to submit as if he were submitting to the Lord out of love and adoration does the same thing. It becomes this intricate dance of submitting one to another, which is not how the world works. And that's how the new humanity looks within the marriage, of the household. Just to share a story, um, where this is put on display for me and like, <laughs> the ways back there are just going to laugh and be like, "Yeah, duh!" Like, can't believe we, we discovered this years ago. This is just a personal story for me and Olivia. Um, I, at, at my heart, I'm a people pleaser, and part of my like um, love language are words of affirmation. And so there are times when I'm just kind of in my insecurities after I'll speak or something. If I felt good about how I was preaching or whatever, I'll come to Olivia and I'll be like, "Hey, what you think? Like, right, pretty good?" And Olivia, this was early on oblivious kind of to that reality for me. She's like, oh yeah, it was great. You know, just texting on her phone and I just like, just floors me because I was like, I felt like I put my heart out on the line and I thought I would really impress my wife by what I just did. Hey, hey, what'd you think? Oh yeah, it was good. And I was like, how do do I like win your adoration in this? Then a couple days later, Our sink, we don't have a dishwasher. Our sink got stacked up with dishes. And let me just tell you, uh, early on in our relationship, in our marriage, uh, Olivia very proudly said, I'll do the dishes. Like, I want to do the dishes. And um, this was, I was so happy. I was pleased with that. Um, I didn't like doing the dishes. She She said she wanted to do the dishes. And so here the sink is filled with dishes and Olivia kind of is passive-aggressively, like, making remarks like, I wish you would do the dishes. And I'm like, you said you would do the dishes, you know? Like, and this happened a couple times. There was a couple, you know, arguments about well, I thought that this is what you said. Baby, I'm talking about uh, the dish, you know, the dish story. Uh, how you wanted to do dishes, but then she's like, what have I just walked into? <laughs> So this happened a couple times and in my pride I was like, "But you said this." And then I finally just kind of had to eat that. And there was one day that I just like was like I need to love her. And so I did the dishes. And I didn't think that much about it. It was more of me just like as a man like swallowing my pride and doing it. I wasn't really even thinking about trying to impress her or whatever. Y'all, she beamed the whole rest of the day <laughs> and the days following. Like in that moment, when I put my pride and my desires underneath Olivia and I did the dishes, this silly reality, she beamed. And then nine months later, Simon was born.
0: <laughs>
1: I was so looking forward to saying that. <laughs> point of the story. This isn't a dating series. This isn't a dating series. But let's let this challenge for just a second. Bring it in. And this isn't a dating series, but let's apply it just for a second to you guys, a bunch of single people. Guys and girls, please pursue a person that understands and pursues this. And and this isn't a dating series, and we can't we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but please pursue a person that understands this. Both sides of the party. Make sure you understand it. Make sure they understand it. And don't get yourself in a mess. And then outside of, relation, like outside of the romantic relationships, this kind of love is expected from all of us to every single one of us. That love requires this putting under that person, all people, I put you above me. Doesn't mean I'm devaluing myself. It means that I'm putting your value above me. And here's the thing. I, I love doing this with children, like in a youth group. Uh, when you have, if you, everybody take two, two, your two pointer fingers like this, point them up. When you are caring about yourself and pointing at yourself, how many people are pointing at you right now? One person is pointing at you. It's yourself. Now, point left and right. Now, how many people Are pointing at you. Two Two people are pointing at you, and then that's that's just a cute little example. But listen, hey, listen, 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 listen. In the new humanity, that's how God wants you to live. Where you're not looking out for yourself, but you got a bunch of other people looking out for yourself while you're looking out for them. They're more important than you. That's how we live. That's how we live in the household and outside of the household. This leads us to our last point. We'll wrap it up for today. Um, look first with me in verse 31. It says this, For this reason, a man will leave his father. He's quoting, he's quoting uh, Old Testament scripture here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is great, but what I'm talking about here, guys, is I'm actually making references to, to the relationship between the Messiah and his people. Nevertheless, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's point number three for us to see today, and we'll we'll close. Relationships in the new humanity, when we live it out this way, this submissive relationship one to another, when we do that, they exemplify the gospel. Relationships in the new humanity done the right way exemplify the gospel. And this is a short and sweet point and we'll be finished for this morning. But when a family, think about this, especially in Paul's time, but even in our time, when a family adopts this way of functioning, it becomes a game changer and it communicates the gospel on a whole new level. Look at verse 32. Again, he says, the mystery is great. I'm speaking with reference to the church. Every one of you must love his wife. This uh, as Excuse me. Every one of us must, must love his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul is saying in this fundamental establishment called marriage, something that the whole world takes part in on a regular basis. We've got to live out God's all things united plan, because it radically changes the culture that we're around. They see it put on display. Now, here's what this means. I've heard this preached before, and and I just got to counter it really quick. The moment you get married doesn't mean you just by default are now exemplifying Jesus and the church because you're married. You don't get to claim that you don't get to say, oh, I'm married now. I get I'm showing the world how Jesus is in relationship with us because I'm married now. Now, Paul says when you live out this way in your marriage, you're exemplifying Jesus and the church to the world because you can be married and keep living like the world. But in a marriage that shows this love and submissive dance going back and forth, that is the mystery that's being put on display in our relationships. And here's what's crazy. Paul takes this idea that he's unpacked in marriage, and then he begins to show how it permeates into all relationships in the household. And we're not going to cover all of these, but he begins to talk about the relationship between parents and children. Parents over the children in the Roman Empire, you are to... you. The children do not have says. You are to submit to the very whim of your parent. And Paul takes time to say, hey, parents, don't provoke your kids. Like you are in charge of them, but don't use that authority in a provoking way. Put the value of your child above you in that moment. Can you imagine the obscenity of that claim in Paul's time? Same thing. With slaves. This respect of you are one. And that's why this idea of every relationship submitting one to another, eradicating this overpowerful structure of I get my way and what I want at the expense of you. Paul is knocking that on its But when he says this in Colossians chapter 3, remember the the letter that's a lot like the letter in the Ephesians, that's why he would say something like this in Colossians when he says, so don't lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old humanity with its practices, and now you're putting on the new humanity that's being renewed in the knowledge according to the creator. And by the way, that renewal of you becoming this new humanity, in that, there's no longer Greek and Jew. There's no longer circumcised and uncircumcised. There's no longer barbarian, Scythian. There's no longer slave and free. Christ is all and in all. And Paul takes the same idea and says it in a different way in his letter to the Galatians, where he says this, For those of you who have been baptized into the Messiah, for those of you who have put on this new humanity in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, there's no slave or free, There's no male or female since you are all in one in the Messiah. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. Paul's not doing away with gender differences. This is not uniformity. It is unity. It is not everyone being the same thing, but in spite or alongside our differences, being one anyway. putting one another above each other in our relationships. It's men putting their wives, women, above them in value. It's wives, women, putting men above themselves in value. It is men putting other men above themselves in value and women, other women, above themselves in value out of the Christ-centered, selfless, sacrificial love that Jesus put on display for us. And in a world that lives this out, can you imagine the kingdom-shaped impact that the first movement of Jesus had in its communities when they started doing this? And when we do this, when we live out this new humanity, Paul says that you communicate the Messiah to the world around you in deep and profound ways because this is his relationship to us. And Jesus, remember we said last night, said, When we do this, when we're one, I pray that they're one, Father, so that the world will believe you sent me when they do this, when they live this way. So how do we respond to something like this? First question is very easy and simple. Do you live in submission to all people? Do you live in a manner that says you and your desire and your Well being, I'm putting above my own in this moment. And again, this isn't anarchy, it's wise submission. Are there people in your life that you are most definitely not doing this with? Do you view living this way as an evangelical tool? That when you live this way, people are seeing Jesus in you. Some of us, the main application here is to ask are there people? in my life that I am not putting myself under in Christ-centered love. That's how we become the new humanity. That's how we do what we did last, What we talked about last night. It's how we live in unity. It's how we destroy the hostility that Jesus put to death on the cross. And it's not easy. A person that you flat out disagree with and maybe has wronged you, for you to say, you're above me but we wronged God and he put himself underneath us for our well-being. So I don't know how you need to respond to that. Maybe just dwell on it a little bit, but we're going to sing and maybe some of you in this moment, your response is to say, oh my goodness, Jesus did that for me. I want to praise him right now. So let me ask you to bow your heads. i ask the band to come on up. And just in, my, in, in line with what we've been talking about this morning, I'm just going to ask you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit working in you, and don't brush it aside. Don't try to ignore it. If there's a person that the Spirit has very clearly put on your mind that this reality you have not implemented, in your relationships. Would you be obedient to do whatever you got to do today to take steps into fixing that? And maybe your response, as we just said here today, is that you've recognized this is the love that Jesus showed for me. That he, though he was God, did not count that as something to be exploited, but rather emptied himself and put aside his desire, his desire of not wanting to go to the cross any other way, Lord. But your will be done. And he put his desires aside for our betterment, for our salvation. That is what Jesus did for you. Maybe you need to just, man, this this next worship set's a big one for you. And you need to just give him the praise he deserves. But maybe you're here today and You still not sure where you fall on this whole God, Jesus thing. And maybe one of the reasons is because you feel like there's some unhealthy power structure. Maybe this was an issue you had with Christianity. And you were seeing it in a different light. And can I just tell you that the good news that Jesus extends to you is that you were an enemy to the one true creator, God. You had brought death and evil into his world that he created. And he laid aside his his well-being, his life for the sake of lifting you up and giving you life. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to say, I believe that's what Jesus did for me. I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. But because the God of the universe out of love for me did something that I couldn't do, I have a way back into relationship with him. If that clicked for you for the first time today, and you need to start following Jesus, please have a conversation with somebody about that today. Please grab me. If you've never made it public, that's important. If if you've reached a point in your life where you go, man, it really does seem like Jesus' way makes sense. I'm gonna start living according to it. Amen, praise the Lord, I'm so glad you have. But here's the thing, he wants the credit for it. Tell the world you have started to do that. And some of you need to do that in baptism. You've not told the world that you are a follower of Jesus. Whatever your obedient step today needs to be, start allowing the Holy Spirit to just press that into you. You pray about it. You respond to the Lord here as we sing. And then we're going to, again, break out here in just a little bit. will have a discussion. God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us. We pray you be honored and glorified in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name.